Good morning. Hands also to preach, so wondering. Gonna find out how this is gonna go today. I thank you, worship team, for a great time of leading us into worship. Um, and toward the end of the sermon, I'm gonna ask you guys to come back and uh, do a singing for so that we can have a time of prayer and reflection. So toward the end, I would go, hey, worship team, come forward, so be ready to come and maybe sing a song so that will help us reflect. Great to be here again, back with you again, and I had a great evening yesterday. Good to be back. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to be back here again. And thank you for the Philip family, Joshua Philip and his family. Great time for, uh, for the wonderful dinner yesterday and hosting me, and also Stanley, brother, um, for... Stanley Matthew, I guess there are so many Stanleys here. Stanley Matthew, uh, for opening your home so that I can spend the evening there. Thank you for your hospitality. Grateful to be here. <clears throat> my name is CS. This is my second, third time to be here. I'm married with uh, three children. My wife's name is Faith. Um, she is not here with us today. She's in Boston, where we serve, and I have three girls. There is Sarah, Mercy, and Ella. They are 10, 7, and 6. Uh, that is right. I live in a house full of women. And it's been fun. It's been great. Um, we have the great privilege to serve um, college students in America, university campuses. And we live in the city of Boston. It is considered the mecca of, uh, I would say, the Athens of America. Um, Harvard, MIT, you can think, you know, the great intellectual minds. However, let me tell you, the, these people are just, uh, uh, just need of a savior, just like anyone else. Just because they go to Harvard, MIT, or go to great school, does not mean that their life is all put together. And uh, I encounter them on a daily basis. They, the lost kids just walking around like zombies, just looking for answers. Uh, for the things that they cannot find answers for. They are good in making rockets and uh, robots and uh, all the things, but they cannot fix the broken part of their heart. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. I just want to encourage you to tell that when we look into your world, it seems like God is not present. It seems like He's kind of far from all that is going on. You turn the news... You know, uh, news channel on, I'm thinking, my goodness, when is this all going to end? I thought this is going to get better, but it's not getting better. It's seemingly getting worse every day. But let me also tell you, young people are hungry, especially college students. They're hungry for God. And I'm going to read you two text messages just to tell you and encourage you and so that you also will be continually praying for college students in your crowd and also praying for college missionaries across America. This is a text message from a friend named Ryan, whom I met on a T. Uh, we call them T, or, or Metro here, right? So this is the conversation. I met him an afternoon. He sent me this message after. What makes, this is his question, what makes you feel like you know God is there? I'm at a point where I can reasonably reckon that he may exist, and also that his word may be the best possible reality. But I am not quite at a point where I would say I know it to be true. In other words, I, ha I know it reasonably could be true, but I'm not sure it is. 
even though I would love for it to be. My faith has led me to a new perspective on life for sure, but in regards to the specific question of the truth of Jesus Christ and God, I don't know how to navigate my faith to a point where I can start to feel as though I know his word to be ultimate truth. Not mere possibility. Curious what your thoughts are. That was the message from my friend. I would like to read one more text message. Then we'll go. He said, I never got to ask you a question regarding religion. How do you know if you're following the right religion? I often find myself stuck between Catholicism and Christianity. But I am fear I'm left out without an answer. I do not know if I'm following the right one. What's your opinion? I read those messages to let you know the young college students in our world is hungry to know truth. They're desperate. I pray that you will continue to pray for all the campus, all the students who are here who grew happy privileged to grow up in a Christian environment like this, that you will be bold and courageous to live your faith out there in the public spaces of university campuses. Number, number two, you'll be praying for campus missionaries who work on campus campuses. It is not an easy place, but what is in life is easy, right? We don't expect in life to be easy. If you are, I don't know. Where did you get the idea from? <laughs> Got to change that. Life is not to be easy. It is, it is to be faithfully walking with Jesus in that he gives us answers. So be pleased, be praying for us, be grateful for the opportunity. I would love to jump into the word. If you would turn with me to the gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. <clears throat> we are going to look into the subject of miracles. I do not know. I grew up in a Pentecostal home. My dad is a preacher. I remember going to church with him and feeling the temperature in the house. You know what I'm talking about? The Pentecostal powerful sermons my dad preached. I remember sensing that in the room. I have also had the privilege to witness the miracles and prophetic ministry through my dad's ministry. I remember seeing all that. But also I wondered, I was also a person who grew up was born a stutterer. I couldn't speak well. I stuttered until I was age 23. I couldn't speak well. If you were to, when I was 21, if you were to ask me my name, I would say it would take about 10 seconds to tell you my name. So I remember asking, God, God, I've seen you miracles you do in the life of others through my father, but how about me? I remember asking those questions very clearly. But that is okay. Thank you, God, for the 23 years of my stuttering. But God healed me when I was 23. I wasn't asking him to heal me. I told him, God, I was asking. I was crying. Lord, I want to know your presence. I know you can use me. You have used Paul. You have used Moses. You can use me somehow. And God healed me of that. That's not the point. The point is, why do we want miracles in our life? Why do we need them? As Pentecostals, are we entitled for miracles? Are we entitled for God to move in our lives so that our life can be comfortable or can go the direction we want it to be? What is the reasons for miracles? Why would Jesus do miracles? Turn with me, Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 56. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. 
Well, he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at the rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they hadn't understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into the villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched them were made well. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you speak to our hearts? We have heard this story, read the story several times. But we believe that your words are new every morning. You know our hearts today. Would you speak into it? Open our hearts to be listeners to your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. See, this particular event is occurred or recorded between two different miracles. Feeding of the 5,000 on one side and many healings in the land of Gennesaret. So this particular thing is happening to two different miracles. Verse 45 says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. Bethsaida means the house of the fishermen. Mark is not straightforward with why would Jesus immediately dismisses the disciples while he would stay and dismiss the crowd. Now again, Mark does not tell us why he would do that. But we can speculate about this based on other passages within the scriptures. On, on one of the things Jesus really had to think through was that every time he performed a miracle, particularly when there were large crowds, the people would begin to press upon him. Want to exalt him as their king. Or look to him to be the warrior deliverer from the oppression which was of Rome. But this particular time, it seemingly the response of the crowd was so strong that apparently the disciples themselves got caught up in it. And Jesus takes note of this. Jesus sees his disciples as excited as the crowd. And they were looking to him also with that glaze in their eyes. That maybe Jesus will be, one, will be the one to save them from the strong oppressive hands of the Rome. So Jesus made disciples get into the boat. And go 
and sent before him to the other side of the Bethsaida. Jesus dismisses his disciples first, and then he dismisses the crowd. And after that, in verse 46, we read, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, there was nothing so special particularly about that. Obviously, Jesus was a man of prayer. However, there are only three times in the Bible specifically we see Jesus in prayer. How ironic is it, right? Every one of those times, Bible talks about Jesus praying. He, he was alone, number one. Withdrawn into a solitary place, number two. And away from the crowds and away from the disciples. This is how we see Jesus pray in the scriptures, three times. The other two times were he spent the night praying before he called the disciples. And he spent time praying alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if, this is, these are the other two times the Bible uh, records the prayer of Jesus. One other time was he spent the night praying before he called the disciples. And the last time he prayed, he spent time praying alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. In both these times, it seems there is some crisis pressing in upon him. And the crisis seems to have something to do with his mission and task. First time, it was about the choosing of his disciples who would accompany him in his mission during his ministry on the earth. Now here the second time and the third time in Gethsemane when Jesus was faced with the heart of his mission directly in front of him. But here Jesus, in this particular context, Jesus withdraws himself, gets away from the crowd, away from his disciples, spends a long time in prayer, obviously about his mission. I would like to draw some observations and then we will jump into some conclusions toward the end. The first observation is here. Miracles of Jesus did not deviate from his own mission. Miracles of Jesus did not deviate from his own mission. They were the signs and manifestations of his power and authority over all things. When Jesus does a miracle, he moved on what's coming next about his mission. It did not kept him in the miracle. He moved on. Second, so my question, why do we need miracles in our lives? As Christians, who followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, Pentecostals, why do we need miracle in our life? Why are we praying for a miracle? Maybe because we believe in the power of God, or maybe because somehow we think we know how things should be. Right? It's like, God, I'm praying for this job because I know this is a job I must have. What would change if we start praying this way? Glorify yourself, God, in my life. How do we start praying? Glorify yourself in the midst of my trouble. Or maybe glorify yourself, oh God, in the midst of my sickness. Glorify yourself, oh God, in the midst of this tired life. Instead of praying for a miracle in the problem, how, what would happen... If you start praying, God, glorify your name in the midst of this trouble that I'm in. 
Glorifiers of God in the midst of my question that I'm in today. Glorify your name, O God, in my life. I'm in trouble, but glorify your God instead of miracle, miracle, ask your answer. Glorify your name, O God, in the, in the, in the midst of my trouble. Verse 47, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. When a storm arises while the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus resolves to meet them exactly where they are. And it says that seeing them tormented in their rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he went to them and walking on the sea, at first glance, it not, was not clear. Jesus feels like the need to traverse the stormy waters. Not long before this night, just a couple of chapters before, Jesus had calmed the raging sea with no more than a word. Why would Jesus have to come walking on the water? Do you remember other instances Jesus brought healing and restoration and calming just by his word? Just a few passages, a few chapters before, you can see Jesus commands the storm and it obeys him. But in this particular instance, Jesus decides to what? Walk on the water toward his disciples. Jesus' choice to walk on the waves as a deliberate recollection of what God did at creation. Mark's gospel states that Jesus went to them walking upon the sea. The words went and walking upon the sea also appears when God questions Job as to what he knows about the cosmos. And the Lord alludes to divine activity at creation asking him, Have you went upon the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? The narrative earlier in the Job affirms that God has traversed the oceans before humans were created, saying of God, you alone stretched out the heavens and trampled on the waves of the sea. So Jesus was not just deciding, you know what, last time it was, I was, you know, commanding the storm. You know what, it's kind of boring to do the same way, miracle twice. That's not the reason he just prefers to do what he does. In this particular moment, Jesus is going into the understanding of Hebrew culture, and they believe that the person who walks on the water is considered God. That is understanding the belief they had at the time. So in this instance, God, Jesus, decides to walk on the water, that, and, and this is the reason where theologians would argue. Every action of Jesus in the scriptures has theological significance. Jesus decides to walk on water because this is what God did at the creation of the world. The disciples seem to have connected the dots. We read on verse 51, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. It was a display of God conferred authority over to Jesus, the Son of God. He's, the miracles of Jesus proclaims his glory to people. 
the miracles of Jesus proclaims His glory to people. If you were to go back to a time where you sensed God did a miracle in my life, what did you feel? What did you see? What did you sense? I hope you can say that I saw the glory of God in my life. The miracle of Jesus proclaims His glory to people. Second, the miracle of Jesus proclaims His authority over His creation. These are the two things happens when God does a miracle in somebody's life. One, Jesus does a miracle to proclaim His own glory and manifest to you to in front of people, number two, and he loves to proclaim his authority over his creation. Now there is a third point here, verse 48 to 51. Then he saw them straining and rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and troubled. But immediately he walked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. So what we are seeing here is disciples straining and rowing, or some other versions would say tormenting. They were tired and fearful. Some of them might be thinking, Jesus sent us to go to the other side of the sea. Why he will let us go through this, right? Do you remember that asking those questions? I obeyed God, but look at what happened in my life. Does that ring a bell? Some others might be thinking, I really wished if he was with us when he asked us to go to the other side. I really wished if he came with us. And also, all sorts of thoughts, right? All kinds of frustration and confusion. And we have this thought, he sent us and he left us alone. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in those moments that you felt, you feel, you deeply sense that I did exactly what Jesus asked me to do? Look what, have, what is happening. Look what's happening. Look what's happening. You felt like he disappointed you. He left you alone. But Jesus comes to them in the midst of the trouble. Of course he cares about his disciples. Hey, when you obey God, it's seemingly a trouble is at the door or around the corner. But we need to believe it is God whom you obey. It's not your feelings that you obeyed. It's not your just random thought that you had one fine morning that you obeyed. It is the word of God that you obeyed and he cares when you do that. He comes to them in such glorious display of power and authority. Jesus did not do that to give them a break. Jesus did not send them, hey, go outside and go across the, across the sea. I'm just tired of you. That's not what he did. He was sending them with a purpose and he walked on water that evening to rescue them, not only from the toil of that evening, but to rescue from them all the other limited, small understanding of God. Their souls needed 
a sight of magnificent, majestic, and powerful creator of the universe, God, caring for them. Jesus' plan for that evening was much beyond them going across the sea. And this became the very moment the disciples learned and saw Jesus in a very majestic, magnificent, powerful creator of the universe right in front of them. It was a revelation of God who he himself was. This rescue is essential, so is our complete devotion to him. Future hope for gospel or preaching demands on their survival and depends on their faith at their moment. So things that God does in your life, the miracles God do in our lives, they are not just so that we can move on with our happy little life. Definitely not. It's just the, that probably the least of the purposes of it. The great purpose is that you get to see Jesus in a way that you've never seen him before. You get to see the magnificence, the majesty, the power, his authority like you never, ever seen or understood before. And that is the purposes of the toil that God lets you go through. Not his plan, not, it is not his pretty, it's not pretty, it's not happy moment to go through them. But I really hope that you will be there. You pay him and look for him and search for him. And when he sees and come through, you get to see Jesus like never, ever before. And these are the purposes of God's miracle. And the disciples were able to see Jesus like they never known him before. And apparently what the experience that night did it. That night, it did it for them. Witnessing the feeding of the 5,000 didn't do it for the disciples. Can you imagine? They were, think about it, you were hanging out with Jesus. And then you just witnessed five. God, Jesus just fed 5,000 people out of just a few elements of food. Well, the disciples were not, they were not astonished by it. They were not amazed. Let's say they were amazed. All right, good. Okay, that's great. But that night, they went through what they went through, the fear of death. They went from fear to faith. That night, they went from confusion to confession. They say that, oh God, they were amazed you are the creator. That night they went from wondering about making him an earthly king to worshiping him as a king. They were no more interested in making him their earthly king to get what they want. But they sensed and saw their king, the king of their hearts. Maybe that night they must have realized trying to make him a king after feeding a 5,000 was nothing but insult to his glory. Because he truly is God. You cannot, cannot just try to make Jesus the king of a little world. He is the king. He is the king. Disciples were able to understand. You know what? Well, thank you, Lord, that you came and you did stuff. We just wanted to be the king of our world so that he can save us from Rome. But Jesus was more interested in him placing himself as the king over their life, manifesting the power and authority over the creation that he made. My friends, that is what Jesus is after. 
He wants to make us know and know and know that He is our King. Worship team can come, come back. Jesus was never interested in doing a few miracles sake. Jesus was never interested in doing miracles for miracles sake. Jesus did miracles and wonders for the glory of God and for the good of the people. Jesus did miracles and wonders for the glory of God and for the good of the people. The consequences of sin in people, people's life moved Jesus that he was compassionate for their good and he has done miracles. However, ultimately, he was powerful manifestations of his own glory so that people might understand God deeply and intimately they would worship him. I wanted to know this is the reason why God does miracles in our lives. He cares. He sees your need and he moves because he's compassionate. Parents, we have, those who have children, you understand that. You do miracles and you, you know, your daughter said something, you know, as you were in the car, but then you just make a note of it and then you surprise them with it for the birthday. Right? Sometimes, you know, you just, you just like to see your children getting surprised. There's, you cannot, there isn't a price tag for it. But then sometimes you are in need and your heart moves in compassion. I want to know our God, Jesus, God does the same thing for us. When we are in a need, He seems to be so far, but He's near, He sees you, and He wants to move, and He is a compassionate God, and He's a good God, and that is why He does miracles for you. But ultimately, He is interested in powerful manifestation of His own glory in your life. That is where He is really interested in it. So the people might understand God deeply and intimately that they would worship Him. The, the church of Jesus was not then and not today is built upon miracles. His church is built upon who Jesus is. His glory and His goodness. May I ask you this question? What is your faith built upon? What is, what is a testimony? Is, is, is the personal healing your testimony? That is a testimony. Is your faith built upon that? And that is not enough foundation for a faith to be built. Our faith must be built on who Jesus is. His nature, His glory, and His righteousness, and who He is. What I have experienced is but a, a small thing. Praise the Lord for what God in my life. But my walk with God cannot be based upon the miracle God did in my life. I cannot. I cannot walk with God for the reason. I walk with God because He is good, He's kind, He's merciful, He's righteous, He's the King of our life, He loves you so deeply, and where else can you go? We see the ultimate goodness of God on the cross at Calvary, where He willingly shed His blood on our behalf. We see the ultimate glory of God displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we see them. Miracles these 
these days are used as a currency to receive praise and attention at the expense of the goodness of God. Have you seen people just runs after miracles these days? I, I, I was just looking at this thing recently. I was at a, watching a, a TED Talk, I think, um, horoscope or palm reading, you know, all the Indian things that we have in India. Dharavi, the Mumbai slum, it is a $1 billion industry. Not million, $1 billion industry, palm reading. You know why? Because we would like to know what future holds. We all of us want to know that. Where am I headed? What is around the corner? Who is hating me? I want to know what's happening, right? This is all of us. We all, we all are that way. So, so, so the miracles of wonders are we after. And miracles these days and wonders and all this kind of stuff, they are used as a currency receiving praise and attention at the expense of the goodness of God. What we should be after is the nature and goodness of God and the character of God, not His miracles. His heart is what we're after. His hands will guide us. I wonder if in the midst of a crisis, we started praying like Moses prayed. I want to see your glory, Jesus, like Paul prayed while he was in prison. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Can you imagine that prayer that Paul was actually in jail and he walked with God, he had miracles. We read that Paul did miracles and wonders. God used them and now he is in a prison. And what is his prayer? That I want to know the power of his resurrection in, his, in my own life. He's praying for the glory of God. Not he's praying, God, get me out of this prison. How accurate that prayer would have been, right? God, I did all this for you. Look at me. And you, you changed my life. You turned me to this mighty man of God. I, you used me to do all this kind of stuff, but take me out of this prison tonight. No, that is not the prayer Paul prayed. He prayed, I want to know the power of the resurrection of God. And I do know what miracle are you waiting for. I mean, I don't think we are none of our in prison today. We all are here. And I do know what kind of miracle that you need in your life. Relational, financial, or whatever it may be. I do not know what is your praise or. But what would happen if you start praying, God, move in my life. God, show glory in my life. Glorify your name in my life. What would happen if you were to pray that? God will glorify his name when we do that. Let's start praying for God. Just move. Show you glory in my life. God, show you glory in my life. God, show glory in my family, in my children's life, in my workplace, and all the things that you're struggling. God, show you glory in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is the prayer Paul prayed. All right, I'm in the prison today, but I want to know the power of resurrection here today. Yes, I'm in struggle. Yes, they're treating me like I've done something so horrible. Yes, they're treating me like I have done something so criminal. But, oh God, in this prison, I want to know your power, the power of the resurrection of God. I want to know that power here today. 
It is earning to understand the glory of God. My friends, nothing should stop us, not our little miracles. It is the glory of God that we should be seeking every day. Somehow in our life, we started seeking His hand more than His heart and His glory. When we start seeking His heart and His glory, all His hands will guide us. He will go before us because He's a compassionate God. Jesus has never done two miracles the same way in the Scriptures. Did you know that? Jesus has never done two miracles the same way in the Scriptures. We do similar needs from the crowd, but not, not the same miracles. God, Jesus did miracles. is very unique to the person. I don't know where you're at today. The miracle Jesus has for you is tailored to you. Not your need, but your soul. The miracle Jesus had is tailored for your soul. And I don't know what I don't know what need you have today. The miracle Jesus has, you can deliver it, not just to give it to that, but in the process, He makes your soul more like Him. That is the God we serve. Jesus knows the richest, the deepest need you have, but when He touches it, not only He touches the material outside need, but He touches the soul and makes it more like Jesus. Today you might be having a similar need, but Jesus' miracle to your need will be unique. I don't know what you need today. Definitely you are not in the middle of the ocean rowing and tormenting. But maybe something similar to that, right? The things that you haven't told anybody. The things that keeps you up in the middle of the night. You don't even know why you wake up in the middle of the night sometimes. All you can do is not even watch but just tears and cries. But God sees them. God sees all of it. Jesus' miracle to your need will be very unique. Not the way you expect it to be. Or not the way you expect it to, it to be. But He's a good God. He's a compassionate God. You can trust Him. So when He does it, when He comes through, when He comes through, you not only just see that need has been fulfilled, but you have seen the glory of God. I'm just going to pray on the day. And they will lead us a talk as I'm singing, maybe a song, what that is for that, I would like you to reflect on it. We cannot just move on with the word, the word, and just go on. Take your time to, what did God spoke to me today? Where am I? Why am I seeking a miracle in my life today? What's the purpose of it? Am I only cared about getting my things done through Jesus? Do I even care about the nature, the glory of God in my life? Let's ask those questions as they sing, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord. You ask us and send us to places that is not fun. And we tend to have struggle in the midst of obeying you. But thank you, Lord, that you regard the miracles. But the miracles are not just so that we can have our life go on but we can get to know you in a very full way. The way, even, the way we've never known you before. 
Thank you, Lord, for the problems. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who moves in miracles. Thank you, Lord, that we get to know you in through that like you've never known it before. Thank you, Lord, you are a God who is interested in not only giving the answers for our questions, but you're interested in glorifying yourself and manifesting your glory in our life. I pray that all of my friends today, whatever the need they have, whatever they are crying, whatever they're praying about, whatever the thing they're struggling with, I pray that, oh God, would you be compassionate and move and, and move <coughs> on the behalf of Jesus. But they never stop looking to your face, God, not only the hands of yours, but the heart of yours, that they will be transformed into who you made them to be. That is to the image of Jesus. Fill their heart today. Meet them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you.